My career sucks. Sex just isn't the same. What's my purpose? Where did this fat come from? My relationship is killing me. I'll never be happy. My debt is piling up. I'll never find love. Why can't I be like other gay guys? Hey guys, it's time to get a grip, stop whining, make a bold move, and do something amazing with your 40-plus gay life. Let's get to the show with your tell-it-like-it-is host, Rick Clemens, who does his best to never act like a dick or a diva unless you act like one first. So sometimes the hand of God comes down upon you, or so to speak, yet it's not the hand of God, it's how everybody else views the hand of God. And then you're having these really interesting conversations about shame and guilt and being who you are and what you should be just because somebody in some church and some religion said, but this is what you're supposed to be. This is how you're supposed to be. And suddenly the trauma hits and you're like, I am doomed to hell. Or are you? Well, that's what we're going to go explore today on both my podcasts for 40 plus gay men, gay talk and life uncloseted. And I'm really excited that through the wonders of Instagram, once again, it seems like everywhere I'm getting guests these days are connections through Instagram that I connected with our guest today. I'm really excited to have this conversation with him because Eric Feltz is doing something that I consider probably some of the best work out there as far as digging in and really niching into the kind of people he helps. And those are people who've been affected deeply by this religious trauma, especially gay men in our gay community. So he has all the answers on how to get out of this and what to do. And you're going to love his TikToks and everything else. But most of all, welcome to the podcast, Eric. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Oh, Rick, it's such an honor. And I just got to say, I, just to clarify in that metaphor of the hand of God, I, I'm, I'm God in that, right? I mean, that's what right, you're exactly. to say, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Just, exactly. I just want to make sure, we know, to make sure yes, we, we know who we're playing with. Right, <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, so oh, I know we're going to have fun now too. So we can like, <laughs> and, and this is the thing is it's such a freaking heavy subject, but actually it doesn't have to be this heavy. It can be really fun and like, really? Let's do some head nods about when people say stuff like that. And like, oh, I, I'm going to pray for you that now that the devil's taken up, you know, home in your heart and all mm-hmm. this sort of stuff. So, um, so obviously you've never endured any of this religious trauma or anything. That's why you're like, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, so I mean, funny yeah. how we all do this stuff because, well, we kind of been through it. We've lived it. We, you know, we're, we're, Absolutely. we're proof positive all this. And it's so organic, Rick. It's like, I didn't know when I started posting on some of my views on TikTok as we're kind of it started mm-hmm. that I would get such pushback. And from that pushback, I had no idea that that's what my niche for life coaching would be. Um, but it's interesting because it didn't start as funny. It wasn't funny at first. I posted a video first um, that, that went kind of viral in all the wrong ways at first. And it was, it's what I call gay God. I was dressed in a very traditional, you know, cliche white robe and a Santa Claus beard and hair. And I was a little more flamboyant than this Eric Feltus is in real life. And I said, well, purpose is like, look in my, you know, I'm gay. Yes, I'm God. Yes, I'm gay. Um, Get over it. Because in my autobiography in Genesis 121, it says that you are made in the image and likeness of me. So if you're gay, my child, my creation, then clearly I'm gay, right? It was a message of love and inclusion for people who do not receive Um, the gift of being seen by so many religious people, right? And the offense that people took 
you're an abomination. How dare you say that? Take that back. And you demand respect from me and yada, 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 yada. And at first, Rick, I have to be honest, I was taken, I was so taken aback and so hurt. I mean, I, I cried over that. I'm not embarrassed to say that because that was my inner child. Mm-hmm. That was the, the trauma for my inner child that has, has yet to be fully resolved, right? Through working through that and realizing, oh, this has nothing to do with me and it has everything to do with these other people. What do these people think of themselves? Who right. else are these people oppressing, right? What sort of rage do they have that they don't know what to do with it? So they must purge it onto me. That's when I realized, oh, this is the work that I'm doing on myself. And this is the work that I want to do on other people. Every time now I see a negative comment, sometimes I take it with humor, of course. Other times I just say, hey, thanks, God. Thank you for the reminder for, for why I do what I do. And it is such about <laughs> what's going on with them? What are they like not showing up? How are they not being who they want to be? And, and what are they holding back? You know, and, you know, as you were describing the video, which I knew this was kind of of how everything got started for you. I had often thought like, yeah, what if you did the same video? And like, so this is me. I'm a divorced Catholic. And yes, I'm made in the image of you. So this is what God looks like. you know, you probably would have been now, probably not. To the I level, love but you know, that, <laughs> but it's kind of like, and I guess that came from, here's how I even got started in a podcast. A girlfriend of mine had a podcast or she had a radio internet radio show. And she's like, I don't want to do this anymore. She goes, you should take over my show. And I'm like, I'm no, that's not me. This is not who I am. That's not how I see myself showing up. And then she's like, no, no, I want you to take this over. I'm like, nope, not going to do it. She goes, well, what if we did one together? I'm like, okay, but what's the plot? I mean, I'm a gay guy. And she goes, well, I'm a divorced Catholic girl. I'm like, okay, now we have something to play with because you go. we're both sinners, right? 100%. And we kept kind of trying to figure it out, figure it out. And then finally she's like, I just, I don't want to do this. She goes, I've got, you know, too many kids in the house and I'm just tired. And she wasn't even sure she wanted to keep coaching at that point in time. And so bada bing, bada boom, I took over. And now here we are, you know, for Life on Closet, it'll be over 500 episodes. And the other, my other one is like 150 some, but it came from that, like, Hey, wow, we have a whole lot more in common than we think. And there's all sorts of trauma and religious stuff that goes on in this world. But for us as gay men, this is huge because I, I know so many gay men who this trauma is probably the primary trauma in their, who they are as men. Sure. Sure. I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, Rick. I, I'm one of them. You know, I, I was raised Catholic. I started going to an evangelical church by choice in high school. Um, you know, and it's one of those things when you are in an abusive relationship uh, and or someone who gaslights you and or a narcissist, and then you break up with them. And a couple of years later, you start to see, oh, wait, that wasn't right. And that happened. Right. And that wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's what the church, that's what that part of the church was until I found a church that was affirming, um, which just, if I may, if I may say real quick, because I, I, I want to be very clear. I am not a life coach that tells you that you need to go to church. That's why I left the evangelical church. It is not my place to tell you what your relationship with a God or lack thereof needs to look like as a life coach and a friend. And hopefully everyone I'm in relationship with, it is my job to hopefully help you to love yourself more. And if that includes a God or not, peace be with you. That's okay. So I just want to be clear. I don't want anyone 
I want to check my privilege and I don't want anyone to think, oh, there's an agenda here. The agenda is to love yourself. And the agenda is to find God your way. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's part of the work, right? Uh, It's a huge part of the work. And this is a big part of the work that I struggled with. It's the reason that I came out at 19, good little Seventh-day Adventist boy, and finally like, okay, I'm queer. No, you're not. No, you're not. I'm like, okay. Mm. And um, I I went back in, obviously. I went back in the closet, came back out at 36. But it was after really, truly reconciling a whole bunch of like, okay, I, I can't buy into this. And it has nothing, not all of it has to do with being gay. There's a whole lot of other stuff. I just, I can't buy into this. I can't feel that. I can't. I can't find a relationship with God. And I tried, I, even at one point in my college life, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to become a minister or something. I've been minister. Mm. And that was because some girl I was dating, I had just quit dating this other gal and it was kind of a rebound thing. And she showed up and her dad was a pastor and she's like, oh, it would be so good if you were a pastor. And so, hey, I'm healing my wounds, right? I'm like, oh, let's, oh, this makes me feel good. This makes me feel wanted. This makes me feel needed. And sure. then, of course, I, I mentioned something like that to my family and they were like, oh, this is very cool. And I'm like, wait, you didn't think I was cool a few months ago when I said I was gay. But now that I'm going to be a pastor, you think I'm cool now. Mm. And that was like the first time I'm like, something's wrong with this picture. Right. Because sorry, mom and dad, but I still think the youth pastor is really hot. So hey. what can I say, you know, get it. But it, yeah, but it's such an interesting journey. And then that wounding, I was having a conversation actually about this in my 40 plus group not long ago. It's like, how deep does that wounding of who we are as young people, and especially when religion comes up, how deep does it go? And there was about 20, probably 25 guys on the call that night. And I said, by a show of hands, how many of you feel like you've been wounded by your religious beliefs or a church? Every one of them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Every one of them. So as you went through this yourself, give us a little insight, like the wounding. Was there something in particular that you like, this really sticks out? Like, this is the wound that really is like, we're digging in there. Or is there a series of them? Sure. I think there's a series of them. I think that also you describing like, oh, I think I want to, you know, be a youth pastor. I think we as gay men all have experiences of, of putting band-aids on cancer and expecting the cancer to go away right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to digging deep into the root of what the problem is and doing the work. I don't think that there is a very specific situation. I mean, I have stories. I remember, you know, talking to someone in my church about my quote unquote homosexual tendencies is what we called them at the time because that divided us from it. So it was something that we could then control as opposed to knowing that it's a part of our essence and something that we can't control. Um, You know, and I remember at the time, I remember thinking this man who is married and has children and, you know, is at the, I want to say he was probably in his fifties at that time. And I was in high school at the time. Uh, He was telling me, you know, you know, we've, we've all heard the anti-gay rhetoric of, you know, right. You aren't gay as long as you choose not to act on it, or you can be gay, but you just don't act on it. Right. Um, He sort of confessed to me that he's, he still struggles with enjoying sex with his wife. Um, And he just looked so vacant and so sad. And I think about that man often, often when, when I get, um, you know, those hateful remarks on social media, Um, he wrote me a card 
I'm going to get emotional. He wrote me a card after I came out and he said something to the effect of, I wish I saved it. Something to the effect of, dear Eric, something, something like, I wish, you know, I basically, I failed you. I should have tried harder. Mm-hmm. Not saving it because I want that person in my life. You know, there, I, I can love him from afar. I can love him and establish boundaries. I never need to talk to him again, ever. Right. But I do wish him best. And I'm, I, I, I don't want to live that life. You know, mm-hmm. I, I remember another story, Rick, where, where I was, I was engaged to a woman and, uh, you know, six months before the wedding, I cheated on her with a man. And that's when I realized, oh, maybe, maybe being gay is not wrong, but maybe leading a double life is wrong. And maybe this rhetoric that you need to change who you are, which I later discovered through Brene Brown is really classifying the difference between fitting in and belonging, right? Fitting in is cutting off pieces of yourself and fitting in a box or a closet. Belonging is being a part of something that is bigger than you being seen, respected, celebrated, and not tolerated, but loved because of who you are and not in spite of who you are. But I remember talking to my pastor after, um, after the incident with this man. And he said, Eric, I don't know if you're supposed to be with that woman, but what I will tell you is that you are in a box with other women. Men are outside of the box. He goes, I can't tell you if you're supposed to be with her, but I'm going to tell you the person you're supposed to be with is in this box with you. And I have to be honest with you, what a gift that was. Because in that moment, I was like, ooh, I know in my heart that God is with me. Right. And I know that God is not in a box. So if right. God is not in a box, then I'm not in a box, which means right. what I'm doing is so wrong. And to me, that was God, right? That was mm-hmm. God using this distorted, abusive rhetoric. And it is spiritual abuse. It's it spiritual abuse, just like manslaughter Huge. is still ending a life, right? Yep. yep. Um, using and that's, that, that is what it comes down to. They're, uh, they're asking you to manslaughter your life. Yeah. Let go of your life. Play mm-hmm. this role. And I remember how angry I got. I mean, numerous times. And I thought, I don't, I don't want to be this guy that's this angry about being me. No. Because You've that's done it not for long enough. Well, and it's not healthy. I mean, right. I look at people now in the lovely, you know, lovely polarized world we are, and I watch people get really angry about you name it, politics or mandates for masks or vaccines or stuff. And I'm like, I I don't want to be ever that angry about something like that. Mm. And, and I've been I, there. Oh, I have too. And it, it, it wasn't pretty. I mean, I have yelled and screamed at my parents in ways that I didn't. I mean, after it was all said and done, I didn't like, but I'm like, I can't, I can't get through to them until I realized, and, and I'd love to get your perspective on this, that it is not my job to get through to them. Nope. Nope. They have a right to feel how they want to feel, but that doesn't mean I have to play in that world. Amen. I think that anger oftentimes is your body and your mind and your heart defending the inner child that is hurt. Yes. We are mindful at this point, Rick, to know that there's, excuse me, to know that that anger is data, right? Mm -hmm. That there's something deeper than that anger. So if we allow ourselves to be angry, be angry, right? right? I used to think that I had an anger problem. And in reality, I don't think of an anger problem. I think that I tried to avoid anger like a plague because I have to be a people pleaser, right? In the closet, you're kind of taught like you have to please other people. If you displease anyone, then you are not doing your job and your job is to please other people. We're conditioned to believe that. Um, 
But what you're describing, what the anger I think was telling you is, Rick, in order to protect this inner child, you need to set boundaries, right? And what is a boundary other than saying what is okay and what is not okay? Communicating that with the people in your life and saying, this is okay, this is not okay. And then furthermore, Rick saying, and if this boundary is crossed, this is what I will do. And you get to set those rules. I will walk away. I will say I'm not responding to that comment. But serve yourself. You do not serve yourself by continuing to push back. And another thing, and another thing, and another thing. You cannot expect them to change. Um, It is a privilege to have queer people in your life. They -hmm. should understand that it is a privilege to have you in their life. I'll say this. If If I were not gay... I would be cisgender, straight, male, and white. Nothing wrong with that, but my queerness gives me the gift of empathy because it allows me to see what it's like to be someone in someone else's shoes. Look, I can walk Mm -hmm. into a gas station in Southern Illinois, you know, a a place where I might not be accepted as gay man, and I can put my queer card in the back pocket and I can quote unquote butch it up for safety. Can a black 16-year-old boy do that behind the wheel of a car when he gets pulled over? No. So I recognize my privilege, right? And thank God that I'm gay because it allows me to feel othered without Mm -hmm. feeling like my life is in danger. And not even not all queer people can say that. Does that make sense? It's complete sense. I always use the metaphor of I can I can walk down, I can walk down the block here. I can walk down the street to downtown San Luis Obispo. And nobody's going to know I'm gay unless I'm like, girl, right. even then that's not necessarily because that, that could be a slang. But my black brothers and sisters, my Asian brothers and sisters, my Hispanic brothers and sisters, they can't do that. Right. So I know I have privilege. I and also have a, I don't here, give a shit attitude about it at this sure. stage too. But well, but totally I think you worked, you worked to get there, right? Yes. But but the whole point, it felt a little roundabout, but the whole point of saying that is I, I love my family so much. And I will say, I'll be the first to say that they've always loved and accepted me. Actually, my parents, when I came out, said that they loved me. And then they said, what did we ever do to make you feel you could not talk to us about this? I'm very grateful for them. But I also think because of um, you know the community I grew up in, we didn't see a lot of people that were different, right? So I think that I bring a perspective to the table when I'm around my family that they are not used to or haven't had their whole lives. I think that's a gift. And I'm grateful that I can do that for them. Well, it is a gift. I remember growing up and anybody who's listened to these podcasts, especially Life on Closet, they've heard about my dad's oldest brother who was gay and he was always accepted in the family, but he was also the one that everybody talked about him behind his back. Like, oh, Mm. he's he's so queer. He's so did. But yet they loved him. They loved that he was like the A-list, you know, restaurateur in San Francisco at the time. And, and, you know, his partner, his friend, you know, you know, Uncle Will and Uncle Bill, you know, they came to all the all the family gatherings. But as soon as they leave the room or as soon as they headed back to San Francisco, I was, they're just such sissies. And I'm like, mm. as a kid, I'm observing this. And of course, you know, there's where the trauma began for me. 100 percent. Because I'm hearing some of this and going, OK, well, how do I reconcile this? But let's go to church and, you know, praise Jesus and all this sort of stuff and love everybody. I'm like that love everybody thing where does that happen with uncle will and bill you know i'm trying to figure this out and it's such a powerful thing that then as i've worked with gay men like you do in lots of different realms when suddenly i see this trauma showing up 
like, well, you know, I really want to, I really want to like go change jobs or I want to walk out of this high paying, super, you know, impressive career that I have, but I'm just really concerned what other people are going to think. I'm like, so let me ask you a few questions here. <laughs> did you did you ever have some issues with like saying you're going to walk away from like the church? Or, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh that was big. Oh okay. Uh, okay. Now we can kind of start to dive in because we can start connecting those interesting dots. And I, and it's not always just that, but it's such an interesting space that you can a lot of times tie it all back to if there was a big religious trauma and there was a lot of shaming around that and all this other stuff. And then you see a guy who's like, yeah, I, I'm nobody in the community. I'll never find a guy. They're very shameful, their body, whatever it is. It's interesting that a lot of times the beginning point was that religious shaming that just right. continues to carry on. And a lot of the guys I'm working with, man, they're, I'm talking 40, 45, 50, 55 on up the ladder. Yeah. And here's that shame. I'm not a hundred percent convinced it ever goes away. Oh, I, I see it in myself. It. It's I always like the, the little like pebble in the shoe sort of thing. Sure. Right. But I think and the difference is to, recognizing it. Yeah. And going back to Brene Brown, my queen, um, you know, we, we can say that you have no shame. Right. But in reality, as, as she would say, is you become shame resilient. You mm-hmm. recognize when it comes up, you, but you do not let it define you and you have the tools necessary to work through it, to sit in the discomfort, right? But what you're saying, Rick, is so interesting. And I think one, I, I think, tell me what you think about this, that where that shame comes from, uh, of course, from the church, right? But again, I think it's this idea that if you don't do X, Y, and Z, then you will, whatever, ABC, right? Like right, exactly. if you don't, if you are not straight, you are an abomination. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you are going to hell. If you don't do this, then this will happen. And in reality, we are enough, period, period, which is so simple, but so complex because it's not the wiring. It's like saying, okay, now learn Mandarin. Oh, okay. Right. Like it's a new language. The neuropathways are so, the grooves are so deep into our brains of I'll tell you what mine is. Mine is if I, if I don't cross everything off of my to-do list, then I am not enough, right? Someone else's might be, if I give into the temptation of having sex with another man, then I am not enough, right? right? As if you do or don't do something and it defines your worth and it's bullshit and it's what we're it's trained from young ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that worth is such a big thing. It's so huge. I remember going in to the very first quote, counseling session with mm-hmm. the hunky youth pastor. <laughs> Oof. And yeah, and that was like a wolf. I'm like, well, sorry, mom, dad, this <laughs> one isn't working, but you know, <laughs> thank you for who you sent me to. Um, Peace be I, with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I remember him saying to me, well, what do you think your life is worth? That was like the, one of the first questions that came out of his mouth. I'm like, well, I think I'm worth a lot and he had the beautiful religious audacity to say but your life won't be worth this if you're living in sin and i was just like Uh, i was just like literally almost like really of course immediately hell and damnation started thriving through my body and i'm like oh my god i you know but i thought what an interesting question and what an interesting way to position this and what a, what an interesting turn of events with the response how unfortunate and disappointing because it's a great question 
Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll say I grew up Catholic and I have a couple things to say about that. How dare you sit me in a Catholic church with a statue of a 90% naked man with abs and tell me don't be gay. What am I supposed to look at? Right. right. Oh, sexualizing this statue and then feeling bad about it because it's Jesus. But anyway, I think there's, I want to talk about reconciliation, right. Or confession mm -hmm. in a Catholic church. Yeah. There's one thing I think the Catholics get right. And I think it, while I don't think you need to specifically tell a priest, I think the idea of saying something that you would consider a quote unquote sin, and we can talk about what sin means in a second, but I think that's very healthy. As again, I keep quoting, quoting Brene, which is not a surprise, but she, we're on first name basis, me and Brene. Um, she go, would say, right, she would say that shame hates to have words wrapped around it. So mm -hmm. I appreciate that about Catholicism that they say, hey, can, I don't know if I like the word confess, but like confess, maybe just because it has religious trauma around it, confess or state your sins or state what you are ashamed of. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great step. Where I think Catholics or Catholicism misses the mark is when they say, okay, you've confessed your sins. Now go home and say 10 Hail Marys and 10 Our Fathers and do X, Y, and Z. We're putting a Band-Aid on cancer. We're saying you have to do these things in order to be healed. How about when I, you know, as a, a teenager say, you know, it's been X amount of years or months since my last confession and yesterday I looked at porn. How about you ask questions? How about you say, oh, how did that make you feel? Oh, right. how did you feel afterwards? What led you to want to do that? And I want to be very clear. I'm not saying looking at porn is wrong, but right. I would have, I did feel shame at that time for doing that. And to be clear, shame is the belief, not that you did something wrong. It's the belief that you are wrong. wrong. Okay. And we capitalize on that and we make fortunes on that shame. Right. I yep. do wish Christians in general, well, first I wish they would be more sex positive, but I wish that they would ask more curious questions and just try to understand what is driving things as opposed to slapping again, these religious dogmatic band-aids on this shame cancer. Mm -hmm. But those questions don't get asked mm -mm. in any religion. It's like, well, here, here's the dogma. Here's the thing you're, 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 okay, so you're bad. Now go be better. And here's how mm. you be better. Forsake all things that you think. And now right. go be better. And if you can't, well, then come back and we'll shame you again. And hopefully sure. the more shame we lay on you, the better you'll get. And I, you know, I would like to push back if I may. I, I just yeah. want to be clear. I do think that some religions can do this. I don't want to throw all religions out. No, I have I hope. And, I, and I'm, again, I, I, again, I'm, it's not my agenda. Um, but I want to just say, I do think that some, and I think that they can, I think that they can change. Mm -hmm. I, do I just want to say that. I mean, I've been involved, I've been involved in some other practices that are like, I mean, well, Buddhism for one, there's not, mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of judgment in there. It's right. an interesting space to play. Right. Right. But as soon as you bring something like that up, then somebody wants to judge that one too. So of let's, course. We, let's just confess we, it, it's a judgy world. So we got that. Sure. Um, but as I is also, the gay community. Oh, I, yeah. as, as oh no, community. no, the gay community is not judgy at all. Uh, I say that, I say that Rick, and this is more for the people who are in the closet still like coming out. I'm not trying to scare you. Coming out doesn't make your life easy. Coming out makes your life authentic. Right. It's a whole new set of problems, but it's a set of authentic problems. And that's when you can start to heal yourself in the world around you. <laughs> Okay. I'm laughing because literally just about an hour ago. So I had, so two nights ago, I had my 40 plus gay men, gay talk zoom chat that I do once a month. Mm -hmm. And I decided, okay. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm just like, I don't know what the fuck we're going to talk about. <laughs> you know, I feel like I've covered everything at this point, but I'm like, 
let's just talk about sexual tendencies. Like if you like to just go get fucked hard and fast, then let's talk about it. If you're like, Oh, I want to dress up as a virgin. Fine. Let's, let's really get all this out. Uh Well, (laughs) I had a ton of guys on this guy. It's always so, you know, social media makes things so interesting. You advertise, you're doing certain things, you get a few people, you put something up about sex and the whole church Ah! comes, you know? (laughs) I love that. So there was like 35 guys on this call. And I mean, well over half of them I had never seen before in my life. I'm like, wow, this is interesting, but not surprising. We're talking about sex stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I get this email about 30 minutes ago from this guy says, so... uh, I just want to say thanks for the invite to, you know, be part of your chat. And it's the first time I attended and I've been on this other call and I've been on this other call and this, but wow, my eyes are like really wide open right now. And he goes, I'm a little scared to come out. I'm like, okay, well, let Papa Bear talk to you a bit. Just because somebody was talking about getting their ass spanked over a sawhorse and somebody else is talking about being in a sling and all this other stuff. And somebody was talking about somebody like putting on boots and, you know, pressing into somebody's face. I'm like, that doesn't make you gay. It just happens to be what they like. So, <laughs> but it was so interesting because that is some, those assumptions start to get made. And I love what you right. said. It's about you being authentically you. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Sure. But I like that you create that space, Rick, because I also think that in the gay community, we are really, really good about talking about sex. And we jump to, are you a top? Are you a bottom? Is this, it's very transactional, nothing wrong with that. But I do wish there were more opportunities for us to be vulnerable and talk about our fears, right? Mm -hmm. To your point, there are people watching that and being like, I don't know what I am. and, And I don't feel like there are enough spaces. And I'm glad you're creating one where people can be safe to ask questions. Right. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. It is interesting because it is that safety space. And this is, here's the interesting part about this. I used to like, okay, you only get, you only get the link and the code to log in. If you like come through the, come through the back door, say the magic words or thing. (laughs) I'm like, this is way too much fucking work for me. I'm like, I can't do this. And of course there's always was the like last minute ones that I'm just signing on. I'm like, Oh God, this email's going off. I can't like be signing on to zoom and trying to let you in the door. And I'm like, screw it. I'm going to let you in. It's really interesting, the freedom that suddenly seems to be just showing up. And again, I don't know how many guys are ever going to show up. Mm-hmm. But what I do know is it's creating, like you said, it's creating a space to feel safe mm-hmm. and to say or to listen. I never tell anybody they have to talk. Never. Sure. It's like, yeah, you show up, you can sit and listen. You don't even have to have your camera on, any of that sort of stuff. I, I was a little concerned about that at first because I'm like, Okay, but what if somebody's like sitting there that's like some wing nut, right? But mm. nobody says where they live. Very few of us say where we live and all, you know, not like here's my address, but like, hey, you know, I talk about freely, like I'm from Central California, you know. Um, uh-huh. A few others say, yeah, I live here, uh, there. But in this world of shame and all this other stuff, I feel like creating these spaces to have these kind of conversations, like we're having yes. even right now, yes, just helps people not just gay men, that helps people free themselves to go, okay, yeah, me too, me too. Right. And I'm not knocking the Me Too movement, but when the Me Too no. movement started going on, I'm like, well, the Me Too thing could be a lot of different movements here, folks. If we just started realizing we're all so much more fucking alike than we are different, and there's the Me Too in it, you know? I also think, Rick, that it's important for us to not look at the individual and instead focus on the system. There is a reason 
when we're talking specifically gay men here, it's not just yep. gay yep. men, but there's a reason that I have clients who are in their forties who have never had sex with another man and they want to, but they don't know how to start and they don't know what they're going to like or what they're not going. That's just, that's like being on the high dive and saying, okay, jump in, even though you've never swum before. Of course it's scary, right? Mm -hmm. We do not have a system in place where we are educated on what sex is, what different positions are, right? Mm -hmm. Also, I think that there's this false idea that sex is only a certain thing. Talk about the difference between fitting in and belonging. Sex can just be a place you go by yourself, right? Yep. Sex can be a place you go with one or multiple people at the same time, right? Sex does not have to end in an orgasm. Sex does not have to in include any sort of penetration, right? Mm -hmm. Sex, I think the better question would be the sexual act that you're describing or that you're interested in, does that um, connect you or does that numb you? I think that is a much more valuable question. I would much rather go into a sexual situation saying, do I want this right. because I want to connect either with myself or with the in an individual or, or am I doing this to avoid or to numb, right? Absolutely. But back to something you already brought up, the are you a bottom or are you a top is the typical swipe right or swipe left. It's like, okay, I, I you're out of my sphere based on that one question. Sure. And it's one of the scariest things. I, I can't tell you how many guys a that I've worked with that have like, I don't know. I'm like, that's okay. Right. right. It's okay. Or I, I want to answer that question, but I'm afraid if I do, I won't find a guy. I'm like, trust me. Yeah. That one right. question is not going to keep you from finding. I may keep you from finding that well, guy. Right. Yeah. Right. There's two things here. Thing one, I also want to be clear on the other side because again, we're sex positive, right? If you do know what you want and you ask that question, that's yes. okay too, right? Yep. It's also just okay to admit, well, maybe we're just not the right match because you clearly know what you want and I don't. And I don't. Thank you for the data. I will mm -hmm. keep looking elsewhere. You, How much do you value your values? Right. That's you are auditioning the... them as much as they are auditioning you. Yep. And that was the reason for that call Monday night was like, let's openly talk about our sexual tendencies. There's nothing wrong with saying I'm totally into kink or I'm, I'm like just a cuddle bunny. And that's what really gets me going or, and, and it was really the most, the most amazing guy that came forward that night. I'd never seen him before. I'm like, okay, well, he raises his hands. I'm, I'm like, okay. And he says, well, I'm newly out. I'm just beginning to come out. I'm 48 years old, been married and I love sucking cock. <laughs> and I was just like, high five, buddy. You know, you yeah. like really came to it. No pun intended there. Ah. But you really, you really said your truth. And I feel like these are the things, you know, kind of, kind of coming full circle here that when you can say your truth about your religious trauma and how you have a relationship with God in your way and how you like to have sex and, and how you like to show up in the community as yourself and how you like right. to show up in the world. This is when you start to release the trauma. You, you dump the shame and, and, you know, you let all of it go. And, and if you think that straight people, you know, <clears throat> don't also have these sorts of desires or also have these fears or, you know, we're dead wrong. Mm 
right? Totally. Um, when you come out, you don't have to choose to use your words, but I think your life, just like if you're not, just like if you're, you know, hetero or anywhere in between, I think your life is so much richer when you ask mm-hmm. these questions and figure out what do you want? Not what does society tell me I should want? What do, or the gay community or the religious community, what do I want? What makes me mm-hmm. happy? Because here's the thing, you are going to be in an open relationship with yourself for the rest of your life. No one else. You have, a, yep. you have a contractual obligation to be in an open relationship with yourself for the rest of your life. So make it a good life. Make it a good relationship. Yep. One of the things that's always interesting regarding that open relationship thing is how intimidating that is to other people. Hmm. When you're totally open with yourself and you let other people see how open you can be. I mean, people have come up to me, sometimes not in pretty ways. But after I've been on a stage talking, like, I can't believe you talked about that on stage. I'm like, okay. Okay. Thank you for your feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Like why? (laughs) And I've asked a few of them. So that sounds like it really like bothered you. Can, can you help me like understand? Cause I want to make sure I'm not like doing something like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm really, and they can never like talk about it. Like, no, I just didn't, I couldn't, I can't imagine doing that. Well, that's you then. Okay. Right. Now we know. Thank you for your feedback. Right. You and not me. So that's my favorite comment. I'm sorry, Rick. No, go ahead. I want to hear this comment. Like, I I, I got excited. That's one of my favorite comments I get on TikTok is you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Let's talk about what this means. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. What you're telling me is that you need to adopt the belief that you are bad. And it's mm -hmm. always from people in defense of Christianity. Why? Why? Where did Jesus poster child of Christianity tell me that I should believe that I'm a bad person. To me, that is such a bigger reflection on them and how they yep. view themselves than it is me. And, and some, sometimes I ignore, sometimes I block, sometimes I delete. I do whatever I want. Sometimes I'll just say, no, thanks. I'm good. Yeah. I don't want to live my life thinking I'm a bad person. Why would I want that? And sometimes that's exactly what I do. I'm like, no, I'm I don't adopt that belief. So (laughs) thank you for your feedback. But now I I know I'm good. Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with you, but I know I'm good. Yeah, I was going to say, but if you want to talk, I'm a life coach. I'd love to help you you unpack that. I'd love to get the devil out of your blessed little heart there and help you have some empathy. So um, let me tell you, though, Rick, what I love. Instead of saying you ought to be ashamed of yourself, if the same person were to look at me and say something to the effect of I'm angry, that made me really uncomfortable. Can we talk about it? Oh my God, a hundred percent. Those are my favorite people to talk about, mm-hmm. talk to. If it comes mm-hmm. from a curious place of like, I don't like the way I feel, right? right? Blame is the discharge of pain. So instead of blaming me right. and saying, I should be ashamed of myself, what happens if you hold on to that discomfort and be like, ooh, this is all about me. It's nothing about you. I don't like the way I feel. Can we talk about it? Because either I'm missing something or I just think there's something here I can learn more about myself and potentially about you. What a beautiful world it would be if we all mm-hmm. did that. I, I like to use this phrase. Pain is always a reflection of what you wish you could gain. Ooh, say that again, Rick. I'm closing my eyes. Say it again. Pain <laughs> is always a reflection of what you wish you could gain. Mm. Because in the pain, there's something that you're, 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 whether you're feeling the pain about something you've done, then you're wanting to feel better. But if you're throwing out pain at somebody else, it's like, it's pretty much a reflection of there's something they're doing that you wish you could get to that you just can't. And somewhere in there's a Brene Brown thing, because I remember her talking ah. about that whole thing too. But uh, it's just and such listen, a beautiful, 
beautiful yeah. thing to see that mm-hmm. and start to like, that's how I learn. Not that I'm perfect yet, but that's how I've learned to diminish the reaction. You know, the mm-hmm. like, I'm coming back at you. It's like, mm-hmm. It's data, right? It's data. It Sometimes data. you don't know. And it's okay if you don't know what the answer is yet. Starts by noting what you're feeling. That's why I fear journal every day. Every day. I used to fear journal every single morning, but I realized that fears weren't really coming up. And the whole point of fear journaling is to take the subconscious thoughts and feel them. Because in feeling them, you get more accustomed to them. And then you can be more mindful. And now I just fear journal every time I get angry, upset irritated, agitated, and I take it with me. You don't have to censor yourself. No one's going right. to see you. Just get it out on paper. And it's a beautiful way to like release. Mm. Without, 100%. Well, without hurting, so to speak, hurting anybody, it's like so much easier. Like, okay, I put this in my journal, but when I release it into my journal, I'm like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> now where's the damn coffee? <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Ooh, you journal before coffee. You're brave. <laughs> I journal uh, when I do journal. I used to do morning pages, Julia Cameron's mm-hmm. morning pages. Like you sure. wake up and just go. I used to do that pretty yeah. faithfully. Now, mm-hmm. so this is uh, uh, this is where I know I've grown into myself. It's no longer like oh, got to do this, got to get it done because that's just another like expectation. But right, I free, right. I free, I freely choose to journal when I feel like journaling and wow it's such a different it's kind of like writing on my second book i've been everybody on these podcasts are going to like just get the fucking book done rick we've heard that you're still (laughs) struggling with but i've given myself the space like hey it's going to get done it's going to get done Mm -hmm. that's it yeah it's going to get done yeah Mm -hmm. but what's the thing you feel like you've found has helped you the most gone through this guy coming out and into your recognition of religious trauma and seeing things, what do you feel like you've seen the most growth on in yourself? Where have I grown the most? Um, Self-love 100%. I have never loved myself more. Um, I went through a really bad breakup a little over a year ago Um, around this very same time. I would say within a couple of weeks, I also quit my job, started a new job and moved that was a lot of change. I also moved into an apartment by myself, which I was very afraid to do. I did not want, I didn't think I was in a place where I could live by myself. This was not my coming out. That was, you know, maybe almost 11 years ago, but this was my second rock bottom. Uh, I wasn't in a good place. And yet I kept trying to find, you know, roommates or find places to move with the people and it didn't work. I realized now that there's suffering in the resistance because as soon as I walked into this apartment, I love my apartment. I just sobbed (laughs) and I'm like, this is where I'm supposed to be. I don't know. I can't explain it to you. It just, it felt like, it felt like I had just walked into my parents' house. Like I had not lived with my parents since, you know, right after college. Um, But it felt like nostalgia walking into a room I've never been in before. And I'm like, to me, you can label that however you want. It could be a coincidence, universe, whatever. To me, that's God, right? That's God being like, Hey, there is suffering in the resistance flow like water. Trust me, trust the process, trust the universe. Say yes. I said, yes, I signed a lease. I was scared. I went through some money issues because it was more expensive than I thought it was, but that forced me to get a budget for the first time. Now I'm making more money than I've ever made before. It also forced me to be alone and oh my God, I'm awesome. I'm an awesome person. And I never really saw it before because I never wanted to be alone. Now, when you live alone, you, you kind of for you're forced to be alone often. 
I wouldn't have it any other way. I recognize that if we all were to love ourselves, deeply love ourselves, the world would be, it sounds simple and it sounds a little like woo-woo. It's not. Everything starts with loving yourself. We can purge our anger onto other people. We can blame. And I do my fair share of blaming the system, as I just said earlier, right? But like, if you don't change inside yourself, nothing else will change. So that helps me to love. Well, that helps me to just enjoy myself more. And why not enjoy yourself more? Mm -hmm. It also helps me to see other people more. And when people hate me and, and, and throw their own fear and prejudice at me, it helps me to love them more because I think, oh, they haven't done the work. How sad. How sad for them. Helps me to be compassionate with other people. But I also feel like, and that was a great place to kind of segue to wrap this up because that self-love piece to me is when you realize and can really wrap your arms around, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Amen. Even if you don't know why. Yeah. Even if you don't know why. And I know for me, there was a lot of times, even still are at times when I'm like, I I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why. And I'm like, Oh, okay. A day, an hour, two hours, a week later. I'm like, Oh, okay. This makes, this makes sense. And the more we can, the more we wrap that, this is where I'm supposed to be. You know, I always ask myself, it's, it's so interesting. You brought that up because that's one of the things I say. So well, isn't this where I'm supposed to be? Isn't this where I'm supposed to be? Because I want to have that dialogue in my own head. Like, well, why are you saying this isn't where you're supposed to be? What are you learning right now? What are you seeing that you didn't see before? What are you fighting right now? Where is the resistance that you're throwing up that's causing you to suffer? Those are the moments that I'm like, okay, I, I, I get this. I may not completely understand it, but okay. Yeah. This is where I'm supposed to be. When you are in a forest and it's pitch black and you have a flashlight and you can see with a flashlight three steps in any direction, why focus on the darkness? Why not focus on the three steps you can take? You take three steps. You might see, ooh, I don't want to go in that direction. Go three steps back. You've still progressed because you've gained information about your location. Focus on the steps you can take. Well, I guess we just wrapped it up, huh? Bye. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's a great place it. that is. Focus on the steps you can take. It doesn't matter if you're coming out, getting past religious trauma, trying to do the next big thing, starting a business. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Getting a part. I mean, focus mm. on your next best steps is always the thing. And it's so simple. But we make so it so simple, complicated. Yet so complex. And you know what? Maybe you have a walkie-talkie with you, right? Like you're a life coach. We're both life coaches. We understand that it's not our place. It would be unethical for us to be like evangelicals in a sense of telling people, forcing people into a specific direction, right? No, but what you can do on a um, a walkie-talkie is suggest, consider taking steps in this direction, right? The person still has to take those steps. Mm -hmm. But you have the ability to press that button and ask for help and then the responsibility to listen. Yeah. Thanks now it's the here, end. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, okay, I think we're there. Oh, thanks so much for being I love here. You, man. I'm so you too. For this you. has been great. I'm grateful for this too. I think there might be a recurring, like a recurring role here on my podcast because we we do pretty good at this together. So I um, think so too. If I'm if I may, can I just say one thing? Yeah, absolutely. To anyone listening, I like to end every Instagram live, TikTok live, podcast, 
because I think it, it, it probably goes without saying for the people that, that know you, but I think it's important to always go out of our way to say that if you're listening to this, you are welcome here. This is a space for you, for both Rick and for me, as you are. You don't need to show up as something you're not. You are. It takes courage to show up as you are, but we will welcome and we will celebrate you in our spaces as you are. You're welcome, you are loved, and you are worthy. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sitting here half naked, no shower. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but yes, you're all. So am I. I'm fully just naked as, and I'm in yeah, my car right now. <laughs> he's in his car. Yes. And he's really hot looking in his car with his shirt, you know, clothes off. But yeah, just say. Thank you. So. All right. Thanks so much, Eric. This has been a blast. I love your message. I love what you're doing. And if you all want to reach out to either one of us, Eric's information is going to be on the podcast web um, site. There's going to be links to his TikToks. Please go watch some of his videos. They're absolutely amazing. They're fun. They're deep. They get you thinking. I've stepped there, stumped a couple of times. I'm like, okay, why didn't I think of that, bitch? Um, <laughs> Steal it. Take it. Yeah, exactly. But um, again, thanks so much for being here, man. Freeze to you. Talk to you soon, buddy. That's a wrap for 40 plus. Gay men, gay talk. Where size doesn't matter, we drop our bullshit, get over our screwed up fears, make bold moves, and live life without apologies. Don't forget to join us on Facebook at 40 Plus Gay Men Gay Talk, where the conversations continue.